Hello everybody. It's great to be back with you. Today we discuss Afghanistan. So let me first take a look at who all is with us. I can see Somnath, Abhilash, Krishna, Saraf, Dread Knight, Vishnu, Bajendra, Ankit, Priti, Study Tonic, Arya, Rishi, Dungar Singh Chauhan, Santosh, Malagi, Jyoti Patel, Aditya, Shubhankari, Chiching Dimgal, Great Nation, Kira, Fearless, Abhilash, Antriksh, Chandana, Good evening, good day, everybody. It's great to be with you again. So, as always, I am going to take a, a number of questions that you all have asked in the comments. So, I'm going to take more than 20, 25 questions. And after that, if there is time, I will take some live questions. And as you know, we are talking about Afghanistan today. Things are changing very rapidly in Afghanistan. The Taliban have more or less taken over the country, most of the country more than 90% of it. And things are changing fast. Things are evolving. So that is what we discussed today. You have, you all have asked a great number of, a, a lot of questions, very interesting questions. So let us get into it with question number one. Okay, AK the guy asks, what is the relation between the Taliban and the Pashtuns? Good question. So the Taliban are overwhelmingly Pashtuns. I would say that more than 90-99% of the Taliban are from the Pashtun ethnicity. So that is the relationship between the Taliban and the Pashtuns. I would not say that all the Pashtuns are Taliban, only a few of them are Taliban. But the vast majority, the overwhelming majority of the Taliban are of Pashtun ethnicity. So that is the relationship between the Taliban and the Pashtuns, which is very interesting because Afghanistan is home to a number of ethnic groups. The Pashtuns are the original inhabitants, the true natives of Afghanistan. But there are a number of other ethnic groups in Afghanistan as well. The Taliban are almost exclusively Pashtuns. So that's an interesting thing to note as we begin this discussion, this conversation. Question number two. Any sources that Pashtuns are people from the Indian subcontinent? Many people say that Pashtuns are a lost Israeli tribe. There are three main ethnic groups in that region, Persians, Tajiks, Uzbeks, Turkmens, Khazaras, and Pakistanis who are Indians, etc. Listen, I'm not going to give you sources. This is a discussion. That's a conversation. If I bring sources and I do all that, then I'm going to be able to answer only three or four questions. So I can show you the way, but you need to do a little bit of homework, right? So yes, the Pashtuns are an extension of the population of the Indian subcontinent. They are much the same as us. They have the same origin as the Indian people. They are an extension. They are the ancient people of Gandhar, of the Mahabharata times. Now, there is a lot of research that shows this, genetic research, linguistic research, etc. You can look it up. The information is available in the public domain. So the sources are available in the public domain. Do a little bit of research. Thank you. Now, yes, the Pashtuns, many people claim that the Pashtuns are a lost Israeli tribe. Many Pashtuns themselves believe that they are the descendants of a lost Israeli tribe. Right. Now, genetic research has disproved this conclusively. Genetic research demonstrates that the Pashtuns are an extension of the population of the Indian subcontinent. There is absolutely not even a small trace of any 
Israeli or Jewish ancestry among the Pashtun people. Okay, so this is a myth that they seem to believe for whatever reason. You know, when it's it's something you see not only in Afghanistan, not only among the Pashtuns, but also in various converted people in India, in the Indian subcontinent, especially Pakistan and other places. For example, the, the Pakistanis, many of them, they promote this fairy tale that they are the descendants of either Turks or Arabs. Initially, they used to claim that they are the descendants of Arabs. Now, the Arabs don't like it and they have made it very clear that they don't see the Pakistanis as their own. So now the Pakistanis are trying to invent a descent from the Turks. They are trying to find affinity with the Turkish people. So this is a fairy tale that they, they make up in order to uh, differentiate themselves from the people of the Indian subcontinent, especially from the Hindus, because they feel that they, they need some sort of uh, basis or foundation to their two-nation theory claim. So the truth is that the DNA is the same, but DNA doesn't make a nation. DNA is very different from culture. The DNA can be the same, but culture is different. So, so there is no basis to this claim that the Pashtuns are a lost Israeli tribe. Apart from that, yes, there are many other uh, uh, ethnic groups, the Persians, the who are the Tajiks. So let me show the map to illustrate these things. The map, as always, helps us understand things better. Okay, so this is the map. Let me remove this. Okay. So this is Afghanistan. As you can see, to the south of Afghanistan and to the east of Afghanistan, you have Pakistan and India. Okay. To the north, over here, you have Tajikistan. So the, so the Tajik people are essentially an Indo-Iranian people. They speak, uh, I think they speak Persian a form of Persian, maybe it's a Dari variant of Persian. So they are an Indo-Iranian people. So there are the, those are the Tajik people. This region of Afghanistan, which is to the north, which borders Tajikistan, has a significant uh, Tajik population. So that is the Tajik minority of, of Afghanistan. Then if you go east uh, to the west of Afghanistan, northwest, you have Uzbekistan and Turkmenistan. So you have in the regions of Afghanistan that border these two countries, you have significant populations of Uzbek ethnicity and Turkmen ethnicity. And to the south, you have Balochistan. To the west, you have Iran. So you have this, this nice, interesting cocktail of ethnicities in Afghanistan. The original ethnicity, the natives of Afghanistan are, of course, the Pashtun people who speak the Pashto language. So that is... Uh, so that's the fact about the uh, ethnicities that you find within Afghanistan. You have the Pashtuns and you have all these other ethnicities as well, including the Hazaras. The Hazaras are not Turks. The Hazaras are the descendants of the soldiers of Chinggis Khan. Chinggis Khan left behind some soldiers after fighting the, the runaway Jalaluddin Khwarezmi in the Battle of the Indus exactly 800 years ago. So he came through Afghanistan, which was then Gandhar, part of India. And then he went back through that region, but he left behind a garrison of soldiers and commanders. And their descendants are today's Hazaras. The Hazaras claim they have always been in Afghanistan, but genetics tells us a different story. So that is the uh, ethnic mix in Afghanistan. That is important to note to understand the entire conflict that's happening, that's unfolding as we speak right now. 
So Jatin Kumar asks, when was the why was the Taliban formed? That's a very good question. Who created the Taliban and why was the Taliban created, right? So to understand this, you have to go back a few decades. So in 1979, in the end of 1979, the USSR, the Soviet Union, invaded Afghanistan from the north. Let me show you the map. Okay, so, so you have these countries here, Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan. These were all part of the USSR. Now, the USSR, the Soviet Union, sought to increase its geopolitical footprint. They wanted to expand their sphere of influence. And... They were wary of the U.S. presence in Pakistan, and they were afraid that the they would the Americans would also start influencing Afghanistan because Afghanistan was to some extent in the urban areas of westernized country. So to offset this possibility, the Soviets invaded Afghanistan in 1979, in late 1979, in autumn and winter of that year. Now, the invasion was not very well planned. It was not very successful. The Americans, what they did was they, they basically, they helped Pakistan. They gave aid in the form of money, millions and millions of dollars, and in the form of weaponry. And they encouraged Pakistan. They assisted Pakistan in creating these terrorist outfits called the Mujahideens. One would not call them terrorists at that point in time because their purpose was to fight off the invading Soviet Union. So what? when the Soviets invaded Afghanistan, lots of Afghan refugees came into Pakistan. At that time, the dictator of Pakistan was Ziaul Haq. And he had Islamized Pakistan thoroughly by the time he had changed the education system. He had uh, promoted thousands of madrasas and all. These Afghan students who came into to Pakistan as refugees, they studied in these madrasas. And these madrasas were the uh, recruiting grounds for all these mujahideens. So the mujahideens were armed with weapons made uh, that the Americans provided. And they were infiltrated back into Afghanistan to find the U to fight the USSR in guerrilla warfare. So this guerrilla warfare warfare went on for nearly a decade, and it was a war of attrition. It was exhausting for the Soviets because the Pakistanis kept on pushing in arms, ammunition, supplies, and mujahideen fighters through the porous northern borders, and the Soviets just could not cope with it because the Pakistanis had an unlimited amount of supplies and, and support from the US. So there was a proxy war in Afghanistan, which eventually the Pakistanis or the US won. The Soviets retreated out of Afghanistan within a decade's time. Now, what happened was that these Mujahideen fighters, they suddenly found themselves fighting each other. And, and what the Pakistanis did was that they redirected many of these foreign fighters into Kashmir. And that was the genesis of the Kashmir, Kashmir terrorism, 1989. The Indian government was very weak at the time. It looks like they did not do much to prevent it. Now, this is what happened. In the 1990s, the Northern Alliance and various other uh, factions of the Mujahideen had formed a government. In Afghanistan, in Kabul, Burhanuddin Rabbani was the president. Then you had Sigbatullah Mujaddidi and various other uh, warlords who vied amongst each other for influence. Now the Pakistanis, they have a long-term objective. 
their objective, their dream, their great dream is to one day wage a great war with India, reclaim Kashmir and destroy India, Islamize India. That is their great dream. That is Pakistan's great dream. And they hatched this plan to use Afghanistan as a recruiting ground for their long dreamed of war with India. So they wanted, they decided to to use Afghanistan as their strategic backyard. And they created this outfit called the Taliban. They recruited the Taliban fighters from the madrasas. There are thousands of madrasas in Pakistan and the students there are called Talibs in the Arabic language. So the, the plural of Talib is Taliban. So these were the Taliban fighters that the Pakistanis recruited from the from the madrasas and many of these leaders were the mujahideen who had fought against the ussr they suddenly found themselves out of a job because the only thing they knew was how to fight so the mujahideen leaders became the leaders of the taliban many of them and these young students who were studying in the madrasas of pakistan they became the fighters of the taliban and this was a proxy war the pakistanis uh supplied these Taliban uh, fighters with arms, ammunition, weaponry, funds, etc. And very soon in the mid-1990s, the Taliban were able to quickly take over Afghanistan and they were able to form a government in Kabul there. So this is why the Taliban was formed and this is how the Taliban was formed. It is the creation of the ISI, the Pakistani ISI. It was a brainchild of uh, one of the... uh, one of the one of the uh, directors of the ISI and of Benazir Bhutto. Benazir Bhutto is the one who, along with the ISI, with tacit US understanding and approval, they formed the Taliban to turn Afghanistan into Pakistan's strategic backyard to give Pakistan strategic depth. Their intention is to one day fight a great war with India and use Afghans as the cannon fodder. That is the reason why the Taliban was formed and that is how the Taliban was formed. So because of this Pakistani support, the Taliban was able to take over Afghanistan in the 1990s. I think it was 96, I believe, more or less. And they were able to form a government. It was a brutal regime, as we know. And then many other things happened. But this is why and how the Taliban was formed. It was a creation of the Pakistani government and the ISI. And it had the support and the approval of the United States. Okay, next question is by Harsh. Can you elucidate the different Talibans? That is Afghan and Tehriki Taliban Pakistan and their objectives and plans towards Pakistan and India. Have they joined hands now or were they always aligned? So there are two Talibans, like you say. There is the Taliban itself, the main Taliban who are now in power in Afghanistan. And then you have the Tehriki Taliban Pakistan, which is a separate organization. So what is the genesis of the Tehriki Taliban Pakistan? What is the genesis of the Pakistani Taliban? So after the 9-11 bombings, after the Americans invaded and occupied Afghanistan, many of the Taliban fighters, etc., many of the Mujahideens, they crossed over into Pakistan, into the, into the Fatah region, federally administered tri- tribal areas, which is the Pashtun areas of Pakistan. And many of these people who crossed over were actually foreign fighters, Arabs and whatnot. So the Americans started bombing these regions of Pakistan using drone strikes and all that. 
and the Pakistan army also with the approval of the tribal elders they came into this region with the ostensible aim of flushing out the foreign fighters but what the Pakistani army did was they acted like an occupying army they started burning villages and killing people so this region rebelled against the Americans and the Pakistanis and the Mujahideens who were, who were already there, they combined forces and came up with this new Taliban, the Tehriki Taliban Pakistan. That is in very short what happened. This was in the early 2000s, 2003 to 2005, thereabouts. And that is the birth of the Tehriki Taliban Pakistan. So that is a separate organization from the Afghan Taliban, the main Taliban. The Tehriki Taliban Pakistan is an umbrella organization of a large number of small to medium-sized terrorist outfits and resistance outfits. Their objective is to resist the United States and the Pakistan army both. So the Tehriki Taliban Pakistan, their activities are largely confined to Pakistan itself. These are terrorist activities. They have been fighting the, the Pakistani state, the Punjabistan state, the Pakistani army and the ISI. And to some extent, they are also cooperating at times with the ISI. It's a complicated situation. The Tariq Taliban Pakistan also has very close ties with the so-called Al-Qaeda, even with the Islamic State, ISIS. In a way, it's very hard to differentiate between the Tariq Taliban Pakistan and the Al-Qaeda and the ISIS. These are tags that foreigners have put upon them. They have the same objectives. They have the same ideology. It's very hard to actually see any difference between these different organizations. So that is the Tehreek Taliban Pakistan. At times, they have aligned with the Afghan Taliban. They even had an agreement at, at some point in time. But for most of their existence, the Tehreek Taliban Pakistan has been in conflict with themselves and also with the Afghan Taliban. So it has not been a harmonious relationship. It has been a relationship that has been filled with conflict and infighting. So they were not always aligned. But recently, in the past couple of days, one hears the news that the Pakistani Taliban, the Tehreek Taliban Pakistan, has declared its allegiance to the leadership, to the Taliban leadership in Kabul, which is a very interesting turn of events, my friends. Okay, next question. Dungar Singh Chauhan says, I think it's an irony that the US first created this Taliban group and gave them weapons and whatnot. And then the US trained the Afghan army to counter the Taliban. I want to know what is the sense of this. That's a very good question. So the US did support the Taliban at one point in time. The Taliban in its previous incarnation was the Afghan Mujahideen who were the freedom fighters. If you watch that movie Rambo, Sylvester Stallone, he goes into Afghanistan to aid the Mujahideen and to help them liberate their country from the USSR. So at that time, these guys were the heroes, the Afghan Mujahideen. Then they morphed into the Taliban and the Americans were perfectly fine with that, right? Isn't it strange? The Americans were perfectly fine with that. And then what happened was 9-11 happened. So what happened was that uh, there was this Northern Resistance fighter, Northern Alliance uh, warlord called Ahmad Shah Masood, who was an ethnic Tajik. He was from the Panjshir Valley. 
so he was resisting the taliban the taliban in in 2001 assassinated him with a suicide bombing and two days after ahmed shah masood's assassination you had 911 the 911 terrorist attacks in the united states in new york and as far as we know to the best of our knowledge it was all done by usama bin laden who was one of the chiefs one of the leaders of the afghan mujahideen that were fighting the ussr so it was done by osama bin laden who was in afghanistan who was under the shelter under the protection of the afghan taliban the americans ordered the taliban to hand over osama bin laden the taliban refused they said that he is under our protection we have a code of ethics and honor we will not give up a person who is our guest and who is an, or, under our shelter in response the americans invaded and occupied afghanistan they well they defeated the taliban supposedly what happened was that the taliban moved again into pakistan into the tribal areas of pakistan and they sat there and waited out the time so they were basically biding their time for a very long time for more than a decade they all many of them were killed many of them were destroyed but the leadership etc and many of the fighters they crossed back into pakistan and and, and as you know the americans were were doing drone strikes and all that over there and that's led to the creation of the tehreek-e-taliban pakistan so the americans first did support the taliban they supported the afghan mujahideen then the taliban they knew what was happening in kashmir they knew that the pakistanis were routing all these terrorists into kashmir to destabilize india and to make india bleed the americans knew what was happening and when india complained about this they said that this is your internal law and order problem you are unable to take care of law and order it is not terrorism it is law and order that's what the americans would keep repeating so they knew what was happening and they supported it the reason for this is very simple in the 1990s and early 2000s the us was still in its post cold war high they had won the cold war they had ensured the disintegration of the soviet union and they were the only remaining superpower in the world and india had dared to declare itself a nuclear power in 1998 i think india did five nuclear tests and it declared itself a nuclear power that was unacceptable to the us how dare this little country try and rise up to our level and that's for that that's why the americans allowed and encouraged the pakistanis to conduct these terrorist operations into in india in kashmir and other places and that is why they allowed the formation of the taliban and they basically turned a blind eye towards that or a benevolent eye towards the activities of pakistan pakistan was a us ally pakistan was a us puppet so to say it was an instrument of the us and they wanted to teach india a lesson and that's why they encouraged the pakistani activities of creating these terrorist outfits a number of terrorist outfits in kashmir and the taliban itself which took over afghanistan so the us was fine with that but after 911 happened they had to placate their local their domestic uh, population the us public and that's why they had to find a big uh, they had to punish the guys who did this terrorist attack so that's why they invaded afghanistan and uh, occupied afghanistan and then the taliban were the bad guys because they refused to hand over osama bin laden so with the help of pakistan by using pakistan as a staging base they invaded afghanistan isn't that interesting and the pakistanis well what could they do about it the americans were the biggest guy in the in the in the in the room 
you cannot say no to the us so the pakistanis made the best of a bad situation they they uh, helped the us and they gained a lot from that in the form of bribes money military equipment and all that so it benefited pakistan but they kept the taliban alive in pakistan's tribal areas and the americans also knew this so it is it is strange it is ironic but it is not strange and ironic it all makes sense if you look at it from the perspective of of america's interests america's interest initially was to uh get rid of the ussr it was to prop up pakistan as a bulwark against india it was to punish india for becoming a nuclear weapons power it was to put india in its place keep it down by bleeding it via pakistan but then when all of this happened when the 911 uh, 911 terrorist attacks happened then they had to punish the taliban so they went into afghanistan occupied it defeated so to say the taliban but kept the taliban alive in pakistan so as to keep the the pakistani generals on their side and then over time as things evolved as the as we saw the emergence of china as a serious competitor to the us as a contender for the superpower position that's when the americans slowly started turning towards india they realized that the only power in asia that can offset china that can counterbalance china is india and that's why slowly slowly pakistan became less and less important for the americans india became more important and that's why their policies changed and that's what we have been witnessing over the past decade or so so the americans propped up the afghan army the, uh, they propped up an afghan government they held elections in afghanistan they armed the afghan army to fight the taliban but they also kept the taliban alive so that is the extremely complicated mess that is afghanistan but it makes sense if you look at it from the prism of geopolitics and from the prism of america's interests the main actor in this entire mess is the united states of america the secondary actor is pakistan india is an observer and thus far other nations have been observers but now things are changing fast okay dongar singh johan again what is the source of income of the taliban do you think they'll be able to sustain themselves economically so as long as the taliban were outlaws as long as they were fighting the us and as long as they were fighting the afghan army and the government their main source they had a number of sources of income of revenue number one was drugs they were in control of these poppy uh, poppy plantations in the areas they controlled and the poppy plant is turned into i think heroin opium all that yeah some form of drugs so that was a major source of, source of revenue i think at least a quarter of the taliban's revenue came from drugs then you had uh, taxes they they controlled significant portions of the country they would levy taxes then they also had fund, funds coming in from other countries whether it is from pakistan whether it is from the saudi arabia from the arabian countries from oman etc or from other benefactors and well wishers across the world they had funds coming in and they also did extortion they also had real estate and all that so they had a number of sources of income they were able to sustain themselves now they are in charge of an entire country and they have powerful uh, possible potential allies they are looking at a relationship with china they are looking at some sort of relationship with the russians maybe pakistan maybe somebody else 
so they will be able to sustain themselves economically especially if they are if they are accepted by the international community as the legitimate government of afghanistan sagar says was the afghan government corrupt what was this was this whole dealings in doha was to give them better weapons you can't help but laugh when the journalists were asking taliban about women's rights wearing a burqa herself that lady from the cnn yes and all that yeah so so um, excuse me so your main question is was the us backed afghan government corrupt of course it was <laughs> i mean there is plenty of uh, evidence out there many many uh, articles have been written about this about the corruption that you had in the afghan government whether it was under mr mr hamid karzai or whether it was under mr ashraf ghani it is well known and well documented that afghan mps members of parliament were regularly taking out plain loads of cash us dollars out of afghanistan to the tune of several billion dollars per year this was all us aid money that was flowing into afghanistan so all this was happening that money was being transported out of the country it was being stashed in bank accounts elsewhere and and so on so yeah it is well known there were many scams there were many real real estate scams there was a lot of diversion of money many mps and leaders had this palatial homes which they lived in they were able to acquire that sort of money and so on so it is well known that uh, the afghan government the us backed afghan government was quite corrupt it is well known and it is we also know that the americans were quite aware of this and this is the modus operandi you know whether it when whenever the us have propped up a puppet regime anywhere whether it's afghanistan whether it's pakistan whether it is in the in various african countries whether it was in south korea initially these were all dictatorial regimes and extremely corrupt regimes the pakistani regime the pakistan army has been a, has been propped up by the us for many many decades and we know how corrupt they are so yes the afghan government was quite corrupt it is not me who is saying this there are so many articles that have been written about this it's all out in the open there is even this allegation that uh, mr ashraf ghani himself tried to take several i mean millions of dollars out of the country when he fled from the country that is a claim that has been made i don't know if it has been proven but that has also been written about in the past 2 or 3 days so i think it's quite clear that this government was corrupt it was designed to be corrupt that's the only way you can prop up a regime that doesn't have support at the ground level you know so yes it was corrupt dongar singh chauhan asks earlier the data was saying that they, that there were 300000 afghan army soldiers 3 lakh who surrendered to the taliban who have about 75 80000 soldiers now the reports are saying the afghan the actual number of soldiers in the afghan army was not more than 96000 and the 3 lakh soldiers were ghost soldiers the salaries of these ghost soldiers were taken by the corrupted military soldiers is corruption responsible for the victory of the taliban is it legit to blame corruption instead of the withdrawal of the us army you are right it has now emerged that the afghan army did not actually have a strength of 3 lakh 300000 the strength was quite a bit below that the numerical strength and these are so called 
fictitious ghost soldiers. So these soldiers existed in the army only on paper. But that money, the salaries and all the funds and equipment and all, that money was diverted and it was repurposed by various Afghan politicians, military leaders, warlords, etc. Yes, this is a fact. So the number the Americans and other people have claimed that the Afghan army was 300,000 strong, it is a lie. It is completely false. That is point number one. Was this corruption responsible for the victory of the Taliban? Well, one cannot say for sure whether that is the reason why the Taliban won. Even if the Afghan army was just 100,000 in number or only 19,000, or let's say it was only 90,000 in, in number, still they would have been able to give a very strong opposition and resistance to the Taliban because they were well, even 90,000 soldiers is a great number of soldiers. It is equal in number to the Taliban and they had superior weaponry they had superior equipment, they had better training, and so on. So it doesn't quite explain why the Taliban have been able to take over the country in such a lightning fast manner. So yes, there is corruption, there were all these ghost soldiers, but it does not explain how the Taliban was able to win so ridiculously quickly. Ashutosh asks, what exactly did the U.S. achieve after spending nearly 20 years and about $100 billion in Afghanistan? It's not $100 billion. It's more than $2 trillion that the Americans spent in Afghanistan. So the question you're asking is, why did the Americans occupy Afghanistan for two decades? Well, as, you, as we discussed a little bit ago, a little while ago, the original aim of the occupation was to uh, destroy the, the was to capture osama bin laden and to punish the people responsible for the 911 terrorist attacks now they were not able to capture osama bin laden we know that he moved to pakistan the pakistanis orchestrated and engineered that relocation of the guy into pakistan in abbottabad so the initial objective was to was to bring osama bin laden and the other his associates to justice, it was to punish the Taliban and to and to bring democracy and freedom and human rights to Afghanistan and a democratic government and equal rights for women and minorities and all that. Yeah, so they were able to do that for twenty years. They spent more than two trillion dollars there. Many, many, many thousands of American soldiers. I think I don't know the exact number, but a lot of American soldiers died there, and a lot of equipment was uh, transferred to the Afghan army. They were trained. So what did the U.S. achieve? Well, the objectives of the U.S. changed. America's geopolitical objectives changed. Initially, they wanted to punish Osama bin Laden and the Taliban. And they also were very much anti-India when this entire operation started. In the early 2000s, the Americans were very much anti-India and pro-Pakistan. By the time the Americans left, they did not care about Pakistan. They needed India as they... As of today, they need India as a counterweight to China. So the entire geopolitical equations have changed. So they achieved their initial objective of uh, destroying, of, of defeating the Taliban. And eventually they were able to kill Osama bin Laden. So that was the objective they wanted to achieve. The secondary objective was to democratize Afghanistan and have a Western-style government. They achieved that also to some extent for some time. But as the geopolitical scenario changed 
and they found that they have no more any they no longer have any use for pakistan or afghanistan they have left the place so they have achieved that objective also so geopolitical objectives are not set in stone they change with time and as things changed they changed their objectives as well so now they have left the country because it is it it suits them and it uh, serves their interests to leave the country so that's what they did in afghanistan nishant asks uh, has the us really failed in the afghan scenario or is the us playing another stroke in this stage of geopolitics to counter china as it did against russia in the 1990s uh yeah so your main question is what is basically essentially that is the us withdrawal a trap for china so many uh commentators have written about this spoken about this that afghanistan is traditionally has traditionally been considered to be the graveyard of empires starting from the british they have always uh, whoever has tried to invade afghanistan has lost it is not entirely correct the turks were able to invade conquer occupy afghanistan and to change the entire demographics and culture and religion of afghanistan so they were able to win they were able to succeed in that objective but when it comes to western powers they have always lost the british lost the americans have lost now and the american calculation possibly is that they want to now embroil china in a hopeless cause and they are hoping and they will perhaps engineer a scenario in which the chinese get bogged down just in the same way that the ussr got bogged down in this country and in the long run they may be hoping that china will also suffer a catastrophic outcome in a manner that is similar to what the ussr had to face so that is a possible scenario it is a possibility many geopolitical commentators have commented about this so i agree that this is a possibility rakesh asks why did the us leave a major part of its arsenal and military vehicles in afghanistan was this huge ammunition dump really for the afghan soldiers or for the us or has the us made secret uh, internal ties with the taliban and so on the question you are asking is why did the us leave such a great deal of military equipment in afghanistan well the you if you ask this to the americans they will say that this was left behind for the afghan army so that they could counter the taliban and put up an effective resistance and prevent the taliban from taking the country over so this is the answer the americans will give us but as we know this well trained afghan army somehow evaporated into thin air and the taliban took over the country with astonishing speed they were saying that that it will take them 30 days or 90 days to reach kabul it took them 3 days to reach kabul and take over kabul so what's happened has baffled people what happened to the afghan army where did they go and of course the taliban have been able to capture all of this military equipment equipment billions of dollars of military equipment vehicles uh, black hawk helicopters drones 
and much, much more. All the uh, facilities like the Bagram Air Base and other air bases, other military facilities, the Taliban have taken everything over wholesale, intact. So it is quite strange and perplexing that the Americans did this. Uh, many of these uh, weapons and supplies were actually being used by American soldiers, American soldiers who were there in Afghanistan. And they have withdrawn from there. So if those equipments and all that were being used only by Americans, why were they not taken back? So this is a question that is currently unanswered. And uh, the Americans are, are not answering that question. So it it does seem that there seems there could be some sort of secret understanding and there is some kind of geopolitical game that is being played at several levels. Who are the principal actors in this geopolitical game needs to be deciphered. But yes, it is quite strange that so much weaponry, so much equipment has just fallen into the lap of the Taliban. You know, like like it's a gift from heaven. It is quite strange indeed. Was there any tacit understanding between the Afghan National Army and the Taliban? Because the way they surrendered in front of the Taliban, despite having all the resources. And who is Gulbuddin Hekmatyar? So what you're asking is, did the Taliban and the Afghan army have a secret agreement or some kind of understanding? Well, we cannot rule that possibility out because the Afghan army did not put up any kind of a resistance. Even if the Afghan army was just 90,000 strong, they could have held the Taliban back for months and months with all the equipment, the training, the ammunition they had. So they, there were some token battles. It seems like there were some show battles, you know, people firing in the air, making noise for some time, an hour or two, and then everything is over and the Taliban moves on. It also appears that many of the Afghan army soldiers may actually have moved on and switched sides and uh, become part of the Taliban regime. It is very much possible. It is true that the Taliban have been uh, targeting some of the commanders of the Afghan army, the forces, that is true. With unfortunate reports have come out in, in the public domain of these incidents happening. But the rank and file Afghan soldiers who were part of the Afghan army, well, where are they today? That is the big question. So it does look very much like there was an understanding between the Afghan army, especially the Pashtun elements in the Afghan army. There is a sizable population, a sizable segment of the Afghan army who are Pashtuns, there seems that there was some kind of agreement between the Taliban and the Afghan army to allow the Taliban to take over very quickly because there is no other way to explain the rapidity with which the Taliban have taken over the country after the, after the Americans left. It's happened in a blink of an eye. So clearly, clearly there, is, there was some kind of understanding between the Afghan army and the Taliban. And we are seeing the results of that. Who is Gulbuddin Hikmatyar? He is one of the Afghan warlords. He was part of the fighting in the 1990s. He was uh, part of the pre-Taliban government in Afghanistan, post-Najibullah government, the Northern Alliance, etc. government. And he is a very significant political player in Afghanistan. He is a Pashtun, ethnic Pashtun. 
he is a warlord he has his own private personal militia and that is what gives him political legitimacy because like mao zedong said political power flows from the barrel of a gun and nowhere do you see it more acutely than in afghanistan chetan asks did the afghan army was the afghan army so weak that they could not they did not have the confidence to fight the taliban and do afghan people like to follow sharia so i've answered the first question already the question the second question is do the afghan people desire sharia law now recently there was this pew poll pew survey that was done in afghanistan which showed that 99% of the people of afghanistan desire sharia law in the country that is a fact yeah so the people of afghanistan do desire the imposition of sharia law 99% of the respondents were in favor of sharia law and the afghan government the us backed afghan government did not believe in the sharia law the taliban believes in the sharia law that is the only law they follow so that tells you something about the sentiment among the majority of the afghan people today it also to some extent explains how the taliban have been able to capture the country so quickly it also explains to some extent why there was so little resistance from the from the afghan army to the taliban it also explains to some extent why many of the afghan army soldiers may have now become part of the taliban the thing is this see my friends it is impossible it is futile to impose a foreign culture upon a population that does not want it the americans have been trying to impose democracy everywhere they tried this in iraq they bombed democracy into iraq see what happened to iraq iraq is a hell hole today the living standards and the the kind of law and order situation you had and everything was so much better under saddam hussein the brutal dictator than it is under a us supported democratic democratic government in iraq democracy is not the solution everywhere many peoples many cultures are simply incompatible with democracy you cannot have a one size fits all solution everywhere in the world when you have a culture like you have in afghanistan democracy doesn't work there democracy cannot work there that culture is more amenable to sharia law that that is a fact that you cannot deny no matter whatever is your opinion about sharia law they desire it and they they're going to have it now right and the the similar thing can be seen in libya for example the americans bombed democracy into libya but the standards of living the law and order situation was much better under the brutal dictator muammar gaddafi than it is under whatever regime is there in libya today that is an undeniable fact i know muammar gaddafi was a bloodthirsty tyrant and yet the country was better off under him so certain cultures need that sort of leadership in order to live in a in an orderly manner that's just the way it is and currently the culture that is 
prevalent in Afghanistan among the people is such that they desire Sharia law, they reject Western style democracy. And the thing is this, the Afghan government, the US backed Afghan government was able to maintain some semblance of order in the regions it governed, but there was no justice. There is a difference between order and justice. When somebody does a riot and targets a a particular community, then imposing order means you quell the riot. But giving justice means you punish the guilty. In Afghanistan, there was no, no justice. There was only order under the Afghan government. Under Sharia law, the Taliban have promised to punish everybody who is guilty. The Afghans actually welcomed that because there was no justice under the Western-backed Afghan government. And in the 1990s, no matter how brutal the Taliban rule was, at least there was instant justice in whatever medieval form it was. But there was justice. They did provide justice according to their understanding of justice. So for Afghanistan, for the people of Afghanistan, for the common man, perhaps woman, man mostly, it is a welcome change. So that is the fact, the undeniable fact in Afghanistan. They do desire Sharia law. Rahul asks, what is Pakistan's role in all of these developments? The Taliban officers had safe houses in Pakistan. Does it mean the Pakistan government was was aware of aiding these militants and decided to do do nothing about it? What about the future, etc.? Look, the Pakistan government was not aware of aiding the militants. They were aiding the militants. Right. Like I explained some time ago, the Taliban is a creation of the Pakistanis. But the main question is, what is Pakistan's role in the Taliban's victory? The Taliban have won Afghanistan. More than 95% of the country is under Taliban control today. This has happened all all in the last week or so. What is Pakistan's role in Taliban's victory? And surprisingly, Pakistan has had almost no role in this, in the events of the past week or even the past month. The Pakistani ISI wanted there to be a bloody war in Afghanistan, a bloody civil war. And they wanted a great deal of resistance to the Taliban from the Afghan army. And that is where, when, if if that had happened, then the ISI would have been able to help the Taliban and send regular Pakistani army people in the guise of Taliban to assist the Taliban and then the Taliban would have been able to eventually take over the country and Kabul with the help of the ISI. That would make the ISI completely in control of the Taliban and of Afghanistan. What's happened is that the Taliban have spread through the country, marched through through the country in lightning fast manner and there has been almost no opposition to the Taliban. And therefore, this Taliban victory has come without any help from Pakistan. It makes the Taliban de facto independent from Pakistan. That is what's happened. So as of today, the Pakistani ISI is stunned at what's happened. They have all of a sudden, overnight, lost control of the Taliban. And the question is, who is controlling the Taliban today? That is the big question. What understandings does the the Taliban have with which geopolitical players? That is the big question. But what is clear is that the Pakistan ISI is no longer in 
any kind of significant control of the Taliban today. Atharva asks, can we expect any change in governance from the Taliban? Is this a direct capture of Afghanistan by Pakistan? As Taliban has had a strong hand in uh, the Taliban. So no, this is by no means a capture of Afghanistan by Pakistan. The intention, the objective of the ISI in creating the Taliban was to use it to capture Afghanistan and to create and to turn Afghanistan into their strategic backyard. It is the, the doctrine of strategic depth. But what's happened, the events of the past month, the past week, have completely turned the tables. It is not the Pakistanis who have captured Afghanistan. It is the Taliban as an independent entity, suppose which looks like an independent entity, which has captured Afghanistan. So that's what's happened. Any uh, change in governance from the Taliban? Well, the Taliban this time around, they promised to be more, they, they seem to be promising to be uh, more reasonable than the last time, than the 1990s. They are holding press conferences. They are making the right noises. They are saying the right words. We will allow women to uh, to study. We will allow girls to study. We will not stop women from moving around as long as they wear that whatever dress that is the yeah whatever it is called etc so they are making the right noises they're making the right they're giving this right right signals but it is also emerging that they are engaging in various reprisals and they are killing their enemies etc in various parts of the country far away from Kabul far away from the cameras so that is of course happening so I would not expect a great deal of change in the way the Taliban will govern the country they will seek to impose very quickly law and order, Sharia law in the country. So that will be a big change from what was happening earlier. But the level of brutality might not change very significantly. Sonia asks, is the UN doing anything to help Afghanistan? And do you think there will be an exodus of Afghan refugees to India? What is the UN, United Nations, doing in Afghanistan? The UN is uninvolved in Afghanistan. The UN is doing absolutely nothing in Afghanistan. Isn't it the duty and the entire purpose of the UN to help people who are in need to prevent wars from happening and to mediate in these conflicts? It is the very reason for the existence of the United Nations. And yet, the UN is entirely and completely uninvolved in afghanistan they have been making they may have been making some pronouncements they may have been tweeting about something about afghanistan but it's just words it's like gandhi saying i am against partition but not actually doing anything against partition words are meaningless unless they are backed up with actions so the UN is doing nothing in Afghanistan. Like I have said many times in the past, any multilateral organization exists to serve the interests of its most powerful members. And the most powerful members in the UN are currently the US and to some extent China. So the US wants to withdraw from Afghanistan. The US wants these events to play out as they are happening in right now. So the UN is essentially allowing it to happen. The UN is um, a tool 
in the US toolbox. Will there be an exodus of Afghan refugees to India? Well, it can't happen unless there is a direct land connection between India and Afghanistan. On the map, we have a border with Afghanistan, but that part of our territory is currently occupied illegally by Pakistan. So if there is to be a refugee influx into into India from Afghanistan, it will only be possible if it happens through Pakistan-occupied Kashmir and Gilgit-Baltistan. I don't think the Pakistanis will allow this. So I don't see any exodus of Afghan refugees into India unless it is with the agreement of the Indian government and the Taliban, in which case they could come by air. So recently there have been a few flights coming from Kabul to India with the approval of the Taliban, in which several Afghan MPs, members of parliament came into India. They reached Delhi and they will be uh, given accommodation somewhere in Delhi, I suppose. So that is also happening only because the Taliban has agreed to it. There is some sort of understanding between India and the Taliban as to allowing these Afghans into India. Anita says, can the new Northern Alliance in Panjshir overthrow the Taliban regime? It is extremely unlikely that the Northern Alliance would be able to overthrow the Taliban regime. So let me show the map. Where is this thing happening? Okay, here is Afghanistan. Let us search for Panjshir. Panjshir, Afghanistan. It is quite close to Kabul. This is the Panjshir Valley of Afghanistan. As you can see, it is barely 30-40 kilometers from Kabul. Now, if you see the satellite image, you will see that it is a mountainous region. So it is a valley in the uh, Upari Siena mountain range or the Hindu Kush mountain range. That is Panjshir. So it is quite difficult to access. So it has these natural fortifications and defenses. But the problem with the Northern Alliance, which is there right now in this valley, in the Panjshir Valley, the problem they are facing is that they are surrounded on all sides by Taliban-held territory. So they have no supply lines. If you are resisting something like the Taliban, you need supplies. You need arms, you need ammunition. You need fuel, you need food, you need money. And for that, you need a supply line. If you are surrounded on all sides by the enemy, then all your supply lines are cut off. And that is the situation the uh, Northern Alliance in the Panjshir Valley finds itself in. It is completely surrounded by the, uh, by the Afghan Taliban. So... Unfortunately, I do not see them holding out for very long. It seems to be a doomed enterprise. We know that Amrullah Saleh, the Tajik uh, politician, the Afghan Tajik politician is currently in this region in the Panjshir Valley. He has vowed to not surrender to the Taliban. I wished him the I wish him the best of luck, but I do not unfortunately seeing this going very well, unfortunately, because the ground situation is such that they are totally surrounded and they have no way of getting any supplies. So it is Amrullah Saleh and it is the son of Ahmad Shah Masood, Ahmad Masood, who are in this uh, region. They are trying to resist the Taliban, but I do not see this lasting very long, unfortunately.
Yuvraj Garg asks, after this event, what is the objective of the Islamic Emirates of Afghanistan as a country? Maybe for the next 10 years or so. So what you're asking is, what is the what are the Taliban's objectives over the next 10 years after they have won the war and they have taken over Afghanistan? So, so the Taliban will want to normalize the situation in Afghanistan. They would want to stamp out all resistance, first of all. They would like to consolidate their hold over the country, over the entire country. Right now, they are in possession of all the major cities and all the all the roads that connect these cities. But there may be regions in the mountains, in the hills, in the valleys, and rural areas where they may not have a complete presence. So they will want to consolidate their hold over the country. So that is going to take some time. That is number one. And they will also want to ensure that any potential or possible external influence in the country is stopped or prevented. So as you know, the Taliban is a creation of Pakistan. And the Pakistanis have their own agenda in Afghanistan. The Taliban are, see, the, the, the Pakistanis created the Taliban as an Islamist organization. They wanted the Taliban to have an Islamist identity. The common factor they wanted the Taliban to believe in was Islam. But they recruited the Taliban only from the Pashtuns. So the Taliban have morphed into a Pashtun organization. And their agenda is now Pashtun nationalism. So they want to consolidate their hold and control over the entire country. And they want to ensure that these external forces that seek to manipulate them and seek to influence events in the country, that influence goes away. That is their agenda. They also would like the world to recognize them as the legitimate authority and government in Afghanistan. So that is where geopolitics comes in. And then they have certain other nationalistic agendas as well, which are left over from the history of the Indian subcontinent, the Durand line. So that's where the fun and games eventually begin. For which country is the Taliban an immediate threat? And does India need to continue their infrastructure projects in Afghanistan after the Taliban's take over? Let me answer the first question, or the second question first. Should India continue its infrastructure projects in Afghanistan? As of now, India should wait and watch. India should observe what's happening and maybe have some sort of dialogue with the principal actor or actors in the country. And let's see how things go about that. India has gained a great amount of goodwill in Afghanistan because of all the projects it has done. Those projects have not been with the intention of projecting power in Afghanistan or with the intention of manipulating Afghanistan. They have actually been projects that have benefited the people of Afghanistan. Agriculture projects, the dam, etc. and much more. It has all been something that benefits the people of Afghanistan. And every Pashtun knows this. They all have an amount of goodwill and warmth towards India, including many, many of the Taliban commanders. So, as of today, India has done enough for now. 
India needs to wait and watch and conduct some sort of dialogue with the principal actors. That's about question number two. Question number one is, for which country is the Taliban an immediate threat? That is a very good question. The Taliban is a threat for many countries. They are a terrorist organization. They are a UN-designated terrorist outfit. I think the Russians are quite wary of the Taliban because the see let's let's see the map. Uh, the Central Asian region is considered by Russia to be its strategic backyard. They consider these these are all the former Soviet republics, the former Rep, uh, Cent- Central Asian republics of the USSR, and the Russians consider this to be their sphere of uh, their their sphere of influence. Now, so Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, etc., Tajikistan are all considered by the Russians to be part of their extended sphere of influence. The Russian military does military exercises regularly in these countries. Just a couple of weeks ago, the Russians did a military exercise in Tajikistan, just a handful of kilometers away from a Taliban outpost across the border in Afghanistan. So the Russians are quite wary about a potential spillover of Taliban activities or influence into the Central Asian region, which they have a great amount of interest in. That's number one. Number two, the Chinese are also very worried that the Xinjiang region of China could witness a spillover of the Taliban influence and that could lead to another upsurge in separatist activities in Xinjiang. As we know, this Xinjiang region is actually East Turkestan. It is occupied by China. The natives of this region are the Uyghurs. And we know what the Chinese have been doing with the Uyghurs. So the Uyghurs have been fighting this uh, armed conflict with the Chinese. There have been many terrorist incidents, etc. You could call it terrorism. You could call it freedom fighting, whatever you want to call it. But the Chinese are facing a serious insurgency in Xinjiang. And the Taliban victory in Afghanistan could could spill over into Xinjiang. It could provide some sort of uh, some sort of uh, impetus to the Xinjiang freedom struggle. So the Chinese also perceive a great amount of threat from the Taliban. Now let's come south. Which country sees Taliban as an immediate threat? Of course, it is Pakistan. We spoke about the Tehreek-e Taliban Pakistan, which is in this region. If you can see my mouse pointer, the northern and western regions of Pakistan, the the Pashtun regions of of Pakistan, the tribal regions of Pakistan. So, and the Afghan Taliban do not recognize this line, the Durand line, as the border between Pakistan and Afghanistan. They have a territorial dispute with Pakistan. The Pashtuns have never recognized the Durand line, which was drawn in the late 1890s by the British. The Pashtuns have never recognized that as the border between India and Afghanistan. So after independence, it became the border between Pakistan and Afghanistan. But many of these regions of Pakistan are Pashtun majority regions. And the Pashtuns, on both sides of the border, seek a unified Pashtun country, Pashtunistan, which would be part of Afghanistan. 
So that is the problem for Pakistan. Now that the Taliban have suddenly become independent, so to say, of Pakistan, they will have their own nationalistic agenda, Pashtun nationalism, which does not recognize the Durand line between Pakistan and Afghanistan. And they see the Pakistani army, the Punjabi army, as an occupying force. And what we are seeing in the past few days is that in the Pakistani regions that are Pashtun majority, in the villages, you are seeing Taliban flags flying everywhere instead of Pakistan flags. And just a couple of days ago, I hear that the Tehreek-e Taliban Pakistan has declared its allegiance to the Afghan Taliban. So this could quickly become a significant separatist movement in Pakistan. And that is why the Taliban is an immediate, clear and present threat for Pakistan itself today. That is the reality we are witnessing as of today. Uh, okay. Will the Taliban be keen on integrating Khyber Pakhtunwa into Afghanistan via the Tehreek-e Taliban Pakistan? Exactly. Khyber Pakhtunwa is, is the, basically this, this region. Uh, Khyber Pakhtunwa, where exactly is it? Khyber Pakhtunwa, Pakistan. All right, so it is the northern and western regions of Pakistan and even parts of Balochistan because the headquarters of the of the Taliban is in Quetta, Quetta, Balochistan. So all of these regions will be now eyed by the Taliban. They will want to incorporate eventually in the long term all of these regions into Pashtunistan, into Afghanistan. This is going to possibly spill over into a conflict in Pakistan. We know that the Tehrika Taliban Pakistan have been conducting terrorist organizations in Pakistan for the best part of two decades. And now that they are aligned with the Afghan Taliban, you could see an upsurge in such events in various parts of Pakistan. I hear yesterday itself, there was an attack in Balochistan, I think in Gwadar, in which nine Chinese nationals were killed in the terrorist attack. So this could all be an outcome of what we are witnessing in Afghanistan, the, the Taliban takeover of Afghanistan. So they will definitely have a long-term objective of integrating Khyber Pakhtunwa and various other Pashtun majority regions into their own territory. So this could become a significant territorial dispute between Afghanistan and Pakistan. Why is China and Russia accepting Taliban as the government of Afghanistan? China, we know what it's doing in the, with the Uyghur Muslims, but it's supporting an Islamic Emirate in the backyard. And why is Russia willing to recognize the Taliban as well? Look, it's nothing to do with principles and all that. Geopolitics is about real politics. It's about the national interest. What is the Chinese interest in Afghanistan? Number one, they don't want any spillover of terrorism in Xinjiang. That's number one. Number two, the Chinese regard Afghanistan as a potential connecting region for the China-Pakistan economic corridor and also for the Chinese belt and road infrastructure. So if Afghanistan is, uh, everything goes well, then they would like to use Afghanistan for connectivity. So they would like to uh, 
build some of this infrastructure through Afghanistan. So that is interest number two. And number three, we know that Afghanistan is sitting on at least a trillion dollars worth of mineral resources. And the Chinese want to extract and exploit this mineral wealth of Afghanistan. So that is the interest that China has in Afghanistan. And they are happy to work with any government that is there in Afghanistan. If it is the Taliban, they will work with the Taliban. Why not? It works for them. It is in China's national interest to work with whoever is in power in Afghanistan. Now, when it comes to Russia, they also are wary of the potential spillover of terrorist activities into the Central Asian region. They don't want that. They have been fighting terrorism for a very long time. So they want to contain that within Afghanistan. That's number one. And number two, they also want to possibly uh, expand their sphere of influence in the region. And they also want to sample, taste some of that mineral wealth that Afghanistan has to offer. So that is why Russia also is very much willing to work with the Taliban because it is in Russia's national interest to work with whoever is in power in Afghanistan. That is the simple reason why the Chinese and the Russians are very willing to support the Taliban and to work with them. Shivashish says, US, Russia, China, what are their objectives on the current issue and who will benefit the most? Okay, so we spoke about Russia and China. What about the United States? That is the big question. Does the US have no more interest in this region? What, what is the deal with the US? That's a, the that's a question. They have definitely left Afghanistan. They have withdrawn from there. They had built up an entire uh, infrastructure uh, of logistics in Central Asia, a northern network by which they were able to supply their, their troops in Afghanistan after things cooled off with Pakistan. That entire infrastructure has also been mostly dismantled. So it looks like the American influence in Central Asia and Afghanistan is almost over. The Pakistanis themselves are now in the Chinese camp. So America doesn't even have good relations with Pakistan anymore. So what is the American objective? Are they Have they simply given up on the region? Not quite. See, we know very well that the Pakistanis were supporting the Taliban all this time. They were supporting the Taliban even when the American soldiers were being killed by the Taliban. And the Americans know this very well. Right? So one of the objectives of the US, see, we know that the US has handed over the country on a platter to the Taliban. The Afghan army for some reason has not given any resistance to the, to the, to the Taliban. And all of this equipment has fallen into Taliban hands. So it looks like there has been some sort of agreement between the Americans and the Taliban to hand over the country to the Taliban. And the deal is the Taliban will capture the country so fast that it will become free from Pakistan influence to a great extent. And then if the Americans recognize the Taliban and they give them legitimacy, then the Taliban will become strong in their command over Afghanistan and then maybe they want the Chinese to get embroiled in this and uh, suffer a setback but I think the main objective of the Americans is to punish the Pakistanis for the way they betrayed the Americans over the past 20 years. 
the Pakistani army and the ISI is personally responsible for the deaths of hundreds, if not thousands of American soldiers at the hands of the Taliban. I think the Americans want to give it back to the Pakistanis by making the Taliban bleed Pakistan now because of the territorial dispute they have. So this could be the overall American objective. They want to destabilize Pakistan now as a payback. And the Americans now are in this big competition, big rivalry with the Chinese. So they now need India on their side to offset and counterbalance the Chinese. So maybe India also has some role in this. We know that the Americans have not been targeted by the Taliban. There are still many American nationals there. There are American reporters there. The Taliban are keeping their hands off. They have not touched any American. They have allowed the American uh, military operations, Air Force operations to continue in evacuating people from Kabul airport. They have not interfered in that. The Taliban have also not interfered in any Indian activities. They have allowed Indian citizens to come back to India. They have allowed the Indian Air Force to land in Kabul, take out Indian citizens. So there is clearly something going on. The Taliban seems to have some sort of an understanding with the Americans, with the Indians. Something is going on. Something is cooking. And I think the country that will that will suffer the most from all of this could very well be Pakistan. It could be the start of something bad for Pakistan. That is the feeling that I get from all this. <clears throat> Harshit asks, what could be the impact of the Taliban on India in national security and border disputes with Pakistan and so on? Will the Pakistanis fund Taliban and use them to attack India? So the question is, does the Taliban pose a threat to India? Will it interfere in some way in Kashmir? I do not see the Taliban posing any threat to India directly. I do not see the Taliban having any desire to interfere in Kashmir. They have already officially stated that they see the Kashmir dispute as a bilateral matter between India and Pakistan. The Taliban's objective is to, is to control the country, to consolidate its hold over the country. And their real objective long term will be to take back the Pashtun areas from Pakistan. I do not see the, the Taliban as having any sort of problem with India. India, on the map, it, it has a shared border with Afghanistan, but that region is currently held by the Pakistanis. So we don't even have a, sh a common border with the, with the Afghans. And therefore, we do not pose a threat to the Afghans. If you look at the Raj Mandala theory, two countries which have a common border, they pose a threat to each other. In reality, we currently do not have a land connection with Afghanistan. So the, so the Taliban doesn't see India as a, th as a threat. They see Pakistan as their biggest threat. So I do not see any impact of Taliban on India's national security. Recently, we have seen uh, some terrorists in Kashmir being uh, caught with RPGs, rocket-propelled rocket grenades. I think it is just a ploy by Pakistan to make India think that there is some Taliban influences in this. The Taliban have their hands full in their own country, in Afghanistan. I think that the Taliban also have some sort of understanding. 
India and the US. So I don't see any threat at present to India from the Taliban. <clears throat> Kavita says, you often talk about Chanakya's version of the world. How would Chanakya deal with Taliban and the kind of terrorism we see, we see today? Very good question. How would Chanakya deal with the Taliban? Okay. This is what Chanakya would ask himself. A. What is India's national interest? And where do India's biggest threats come from? Number two. What is the Taliban's national interest? And where does the Taliban see its biggest threat coming from? India's national interest is to reclaim the whole of Kashmir. India's biggest threats are Pakistan and China. The Taliban's national interest is to consolidate their hold over the country, to reclaim Pakistan-occupied Afghanistan, and their biggest threat and competitor is Pakistan. So Chanakya would say that I have this national interest and I have these threats. The Taliban has this national interest and they have these threats. Do we have any kind of convergence between these two? We both see Pakistan as our biggest threat. We both have territorial disputes with Pakistan. My enemy is Pakistan. The Taliban's enemy is Pakistan. Why can't we work together? My enemy's enemy is my friend. I don't care what Taliban's ideology is. I don't care that they want Sharia law. It has nothing to do with me. It is their internal matter. I their national interest does seem to have a, some convergence with my national interest. So why can't we work together? That is how Vishnu Gupta Chanakya would see the world. This sort of realistic approach has nothing to do with morality, with ethics. It is all about real politics. It's all about pursuing your national interest. It's all about destroying the common enemy. That is how Chanakya would deal with the Taliban. He would see them as an instrument that you should work with in destabilizing and fragmenting the common enemy, which is Pakistan. And that is why I do not see this. I, I know the Taliban takeover is a very bad thing for many Afghan people, especially those who are westernized and who did not want Sharia law. It is a bad thing for women who will now have extra impositions on them. But from a cold, hard, geopolitical angle, it may actually be a good thing for India. So that's what India needs to work with. Som says, what should India do now? Should India support Amrullah Saleh to give strength to the Northern Alliance, etc.? Or should India shake hands with the Taliban for short-term peace? India should not seek anything in the short term. All our national interest objectives have to be long-term objectives. We should think in the term in, in terms of decades. What do we want to achieve in the next decade and two decades? I have always said that India needs to give itself a maximum of 20 years to balkanize and fragment Pakistan into its component pieces. India needs to retake Gilgit Baltistan and Pakistan occupied Kashmir. We can give Pashtunistan back to the Afghans. And we can have an independent Sindh, independent Balochistan, independent Punjab, 
etc that's what india needs to achieve in maximum 20 years so who will help india in doing this will amrullah saleh or the northern alliance be able to do it they are surrounded on all sides what is the point of supporting them i am i'm i know it's it is quite cynical and heartless to say this but as the leader of a country you cannot think with your heart you have to think in a cold calculative manner you have to do things from the perspective of your long term national interest and india's national interest is not going to be served by supporting a losing cause so india will be it will be interesting if the indian government finds ways of cooperating and collaborating with the taliban the pashtuns in doing what is best for the entire region the pakistan the pakistani regime is a terrorist organization the pakistan army is a terrorist organization they are nuclear armed terrorists they are the, they are a threat for the entire region they are a threat for for afghanistan and for india india and afghanistan should join hands and dismantle this threat so i would say that india should seek ways of should explore ways of cooperating with the afghans with the pashtuns in fulfilling and furthering our common national interests krishna says if india wills can we wipe out the taliban how do we do it what should be india's afghan card for the next 20 years and future can the afghan diaspora in india help us in any way in the future should we engage with the northern alliance for the next 20 years it is in india's interest to have a peaceful stable afghanistan in the past indian prime ministers have said that we want a peaceful stable pakistan people like ik gujral etc that is the last thing we need a peaceful stable pakistan is a bigger threat for india it's a bigger threat for afghanistan what india should seek over the next 20 years is a strong peaceful stable afghanistan that is friendly with india it doesn't matter if the taliban is ruling afghanistan we have excellent relations with saudi arabia where they have sharia law or islamic law we have excellent relations with the uae with qatar and many other islamic countries we can have the same sort of excellent relationship with afghanistan as well even if it is under an islamist regime i don't see any problem with that india should seek a strong stable peaceful and friendly afghanistan over the next 20 years and the only way of achieving this objective of a strong peaceful friendly and stable afghanistan is by balkanizing the threat the common threat to both the countries which is pakistan so that's what india needs to do why should we wipe out the taliban the taliban posed no threat to india none whatsoever so i don't see any reason why india would want to wipe out or target the taliban in any way unless they would be stupid enough to try and interfere in india i don't think they are stupid people i think they are very smart people how can, can the afghan diaspora in india help us no no not at all should we engage with the northern with the northern alliance i don't think so the northern the northern alliance is uh, not going to last very long sadly omkar says will taliban take over pakistan in the future arnab says will tehreek e taliban 
be a headache for the Pakistanis now that the Taliban are back in power. I don't think the Taliban will be able to take over the whole of Pakistan in the future. The Punjabis hate Pakistan, the, 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 the Taliban. The Taliban are a Pashtun movement. The Punjabis and the Pashtuns have a very old rivalry. They have a very, very old enmity that goes back to the time of Ahmad Shah Abdali. It goes back to the time when Ahmad Shah Abdali helped the Iranian King Nadir Shah invade and sack India. And it goes back to the time of Maharaja Ranjit Singh when Maharaja Ranjit Singh was able to subdue the, the Afghans, the Pashtuns. So there is this bitter rivalry between the Pashtuns and the Punjabis. The Pashtuns, the Taliban have taken help from the Pakistan army, the ISI, who are all Punjabis because they had to. But now that they have their own country and they've been able to win it on their own without any help from the Punjabis, they will want to pursue their Pashtun nationalistic agenda. And we have a strong Taliban presence in Pakistan, the Tehrika Taliban Pakistan, which is now aligned with the Afghan Taliban. And also, let us not forget that there is a significant Pashtun population throughout Pakistan now. Karachi has almost become a Pashtun majority city. So the Pakistanis could be in a great deal of trouble. I don't think the Taliban will be able to take over the whole of Pakistan. But I don't see, I see a civil war happening in Pakistan in the very near future. So yes, the Tehrika Taliban, Pakistan will be a very big headache for the Pakistanis. They could take over conceivably significant portions of Pakistan, especially the western and northern parts. The uh, Pakistan ar- army will definitely fight back. So that's why I say there could be a civil war in the coming days. This could very possibly, my friends, be the beginning of the end for Pakistan if India and the US and the Afghans we get together and we play our cards right. That is definitely a possibility. Okay, let's take a look at some live questions. If you have questions, ask me now. Okay, do we have any questions? Okay, this is by Alokik Singh. Can Pakistan manipulate the Taliban in terms of Islam and religion to make Taliban stand against India? The Taliban are not stupid. They are a Pashtun nationalist movement. They are Muslims. They will impose their own form of Islam, Sunni Islam, Sharia, etc. in Afghanistan. But they do not want any interference from the Punjabis. They see the Pakistanis as Punjabis because the Punjabis run the army and the ISI and they run the whole country. So that old rivalry and nationalistic identity will now come to the fore. I don't think the ISI will be able to manipulate the Taliban. See, how do you manipulate somebody? You manipulate somebody if they depend on you for money, for arms, for ammunition, for training, and all that. If you have that sort of control on somebody, then you can manipulate those people. Now the Taliban may get funds from China. They they will definitely get funds from China. They will also get funds from Russia, conceivably. 
they may be getting funds from the US and from various other places Iran may also be a factor in this by the way the Taliban the Afghanistan Afghanistan has a significant border with Iran so the, the, the Pakistanis could very much find themselves sidelined very fast. They are, may already be sidelined in this matter. So I don't see the Pakistanis, the ISI, being able to significantly manipulate the Taliban in any way because the Taliban are no longer controlled by them. They are no longer beholden to the ISI. So let's take some more questions. Questions about Afghanistan, not about history. <laughs> Saraswati River, no thank you, not today. Nirjar says, is Taliban backed by America still? America helped ISIS by dropping, wep- from do- dropping weapons and vehicles. See, the Americans use various groups like these as uh, temporary tools to achieve their geopolitical, short-term geopolitical objectives. Saddam Hussein was once an agent of the United States. They used Saddam Hussein, this brutal Iraqi dictator, to bleed Iran. And when Saddam Hussein was no longer useful, you know what they did to him. Similarly, they used the the Taliban, they used the Afghan Mujahideen, they used various uh, terrorist outfits in the Middle East, in North Africa, the Americans will use any terrorist organization for short for short periods of time as long as it fulfills their short-term geopolitical objectives. Is the Taliban still backed by the Americans? It is a possibility. They will not admit it, but it is a possibility. If you look at the way things hap- happened, it is definitely a possibility. Okay... What else do we have? Good question by RJ. Do you see the Taliban attacking China for those Muslims in concentration camps in China? The Taliban are very smart people. They are very clear about what their objectives are. Their objective is to serve, is to consolidate their power in Afghanistan and to further the agenda of the Pashtun national interest. So their main problem is the Pashtun territories that are occupied by Pakistan. That is the main problem they have. They do not seek to enter into a conflict with an enormous country like China, with whom they do have a small shared border via Tibet and Xinjiang. So they do not wish to enter into a new conflict with a country that can conceivably defeat them very easily. So the Taliban will not interfere in Chinese-occupied East Turkestan. They will seek to have a peaceful border and good relations with the Chinese. Their bone of contention is Pakistan. The Pakistanis have been bleeding the Pashtuns for decades. The Punjabis have been bleeding the Pashtuns for centuries. That is the blood rivalry they will seek to avenge sooner or later. Maybe sooner if they are helped by external forces. Okay, what else do we have?
what else do we have kapil asks what will happen to india and indians if it takes up the mantle of the usa and deploys the indian military in the in afghanistan for counter terrorism operations basically replace the usa my question is how does such an action help india's national interest does the taliban pose a threat to india no the taliban have made it very clear they have no intention to inter- interfere in any form in india the taliban have allowed the indian embassy staff and other indians to peacefully depart from afghanistan they have allowed the indian air force to land in kabul take people out without any trouble they have been cooperating they have been saying the right things thus far they have done absolutely nothing against india so i don't see why india should regard the taliban as a terrorist outfit we should regard them we should regard an organization as a terrorist outfit if it targets india and indian interests if it does not target india if it does not target indian interests then it is not our concern what else they do and therefore india should not regard the taliban as a terrorist outfit as long as it does not target india or indian people or indian interests and therefore i do not see it necessary or fruitful or desirable for india to deploy its military in afghanistan it would be a very stupid move similar to what rajiv gandhi did in sri lanka it's pointless the taliban could actually be an ally of india like i have been saying so yeah so india should not do any of that there is no need for india to try and replace the usa it is pointless what else do we have pawan says what are the indirect threats that the taliban poses to india is it raise of uh, motivation of separatist forces the taliban does not pose any threat to india they their agenda is not india their agenda is to consolidate the, their consolidate their power in their own country and once they are able to do that they will want to reclaim their territories from pakistan it does not po- pose us a, a threat to india it does not as far as i understand it does not seem to have any connections with the terrorist organizations that the pakistanis have created in kashmir so i don't see it posing any significant threat to india as long as india handles the situation properly so this is a good opportunity for india akshay says will it not be hypocritical for india to recognize the taliban when they consider kashmiri mujahideen as terrorists it has nothing to do it has nothing to do with principles politics geopolitics is replete with hypocrisy the biggest hypocrites in the world are the americans and the chinese why should we be left behind let us embrace hypocrisy for the sake of the national interest what is more important tell me please is the national interest more important or the way the world sees you do you want to look 
principled and non-hypocritical or do you want to pursue your national interest? What is more important? I don't give two hoots about how India is perceived worldwide. India should prioritize its national interest even if it looks hypocritical. That's what the Americans have been doing for, for decades. That's what the Russians have been doing for decades. That's what the Chinese have always done. India should also do the same. Only pursue your national interest. Play the hard geopolitical game. Recognize the Taliban as long as it does not pose a threat to India and target the Kashmiri Mujahideen and various terrorist organizations as terrorists. That's what India should do. Perception doesn't matter. Let the world call us hypocrites. 20 years down the line, we will have a stronger country and those claims of hypocrisy will be long forgotten. Sumit says, will will the Taliban survive in Afghanistan? Will it remain stable as the people of Afghanistan do not like the Taliban? Uh, I just, uh, we know that that 99% of of the Afghan population wants Sharia law and the Ashraf Ghani government did not believe in Sharia law. They did not give Sharia law to the people. It is the Taliban who is giving Sharia law. So what does the people what do the people of Afghanistan want? They want the Taliban, my friends. The Taliban will survive in Afghanistan. They have the guns, they have the firepower, they have the support, they have everything. What can the people do? Even if they don't like the Taliban, what can they do? The People of India over the past thousand years did not like the Turks. But the Turks were able to stay in India and occupy India until the 17th century. So, even though the people did not like them, even though they were so brutal and barbaric, they were able to occupy India. Now, the Taliban on the other hand actually has support among the Pashtun people and among the 99% of Afghans who want Sharia law. So, I don't see any problem for Taliban in surviving and even thriving in Afghanistan. Should India shake hands with the Taliban to solve the POK issue in return for India's support in the United Nations? India should support the Taliban in the UN contingent on them doing what we want vis-a-vis Pakistan. India needs to ensure that Pakistan is balkanized in the next 10 to 20 years. If the Taliban takes steps in that regard, in reclaiming Pashtunistan, etc. And as long as they are favorably inclined towards India, as long as they don't interfere in India in any way, I don't see why India should not support them as the legitimate government of Afghanistan. Okay, Harsh says, what is the Chinese role in the overall collapse that was orchestrated? Ghani leaving with the money, Biden denying denying the possibility of a collapse, etc. Is it all due to Chinese influence? I don't think China has any role thus far in what has happened. Everything that has happened until this point has been orchestrated by the Americans. They were in control of large parts of the country. Their military was in control of significant portions of the country. They have a very powerful air force that can wipe out any Taliban presence if they want. So it was the Americans who were in control of the territory 
to a large extent of Afghanistan. It is their choice that they have left in the manner that they have. It is their choice that they left behind all this cash, all these weapons and everything else to the Taliban. And it seems to have been their choice that the Afghan army allowed the Taliban to take over. So I don't see China as having anything to do with this. But yes, now the Chinese will want to get involved in this. And maybe it is a trap for the Chinese set by the Americans. Okay, one more question. One more question. Shashank says, why can't India just go on and conquer Pakistan-occupied Kashmir? Things have to be done step by step. You, you cannot get ahead of yourself. You cannot take rash decisions. Everything has to be calculated, well thought out, well planned out. You cannot act emotionally. This is a very big move to go back and conquer Pakistan-occupied Kashmir, take it back. It should be done at the right time. It should be done. And when is the right time for that? The right time is when Pakistan is very weak. Right now, the Pakistanis have the support of China. They have nuclear weapons. So right now would not be a good time to do this thing. The Chinese may also get involved in this matter right now. But in the future, if Pakistan is in the middle of a civil war, if it is destabilized in the northern and western borders with Afghanistan, and maybe if it is on the brink of being fragmented by because of these forces, that would be the right time to go and take back POK and do various other things. So what India needs is patience. We have waited 70 plus years. Let's wait another 5, 10, 15 years and do the things at the right time when things are when the time is right. So as of today, India needs to wait and watch, do things behind the scenes shake hands with the right actors on the geopolitical stage and bide its time. India should give itself a 20-year target of clearing the neighborhood of all the problems, at least on the western border. And this could be the beginning of that. This could very much be the beginning of the end of Pakistan, possibly, if India plays its cards right. Okay. So that brings us to an end of this session, my friends. Thank you so much for all your questions. Very good, very interesting questions. Thank you so much. So we we end this here and I will see you very soon. I will see you in tomorrow's history session. Until then, take care. Have a good day. Have a good night. Bye.